Welcome into the Everybody Fucking Panic episode of the Card Chronicle podcast. Uh, Mike Rutherford, Danny Sennard here. And today we're going to be talking about the Louisville Cardinals losing their damn mind and nobody knowing what the hell's going on. We're talking, of course, about the 77-62 loss at Clemson on Saturday. Louisville second uh, loss of the week against a team that is, I guess, Clemson's, I guess Clemson's barely Clemson's barely 500. Two bad losses anyway you slice it, and I think what's more concerning than just losing games to teams that are on the outside looking in of the NCAA tournament picture is the way in which it all happened. We're going to talk about that for the next uh, half hour or so. I guess we'll start here. Dan Sennard, your panic level right now if we're saying 1 to 10, with 10 being no chance of winning the national title, completely out, don't even want to watch the games. Where's your panic level right now? Man, uh Ranking one to ten, I would say about a, a seven and a half, trending upwards. Um, yeah, th- th- very concerning these last two games. Just a lot of signs of things that you don't want from your team when you're heading into March. And I hate to say it, and it just we look very soft right now, uh, especially mentally. Um, I mean, I was looking at the stats and, you know, we did out rebound them yesterday. Uh, you know, turnovers were the same and I know we're not shooting the ball well, but it just seems like we're letting teams kind of dictate how they want to play against us versus, you know, vice versa. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, we, we have that deer in the headlights look that it looks like we had about this exact same time last year after the Duke game. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need to get it corrected because the schedule coming up is not very friendly. And, with, you know, we, we, there's no other thing to do besides figure it out. Yeah, I jumped pretty significantly from, if we're talking about the panic level, from Wednesday night's game to Georgia Tech to now. Like, I was probably a four and a half after the Georgia Tech game. It was an awful performance, but I still thought long-term they were going to be okay. Like so many other people said, it felt like that loss had been coming for a while, and maybe you know this is what's going to finally wake them up. And then to be even worse and to be even more lethargic and to have the, the whole Jordan Warris situation, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, in the very next game against another team that you, you know should have been able to outclass fairly easily because you'd already done it before, was super, super concerning. So I jumped from like a four and a half. I'm kind of at like an eight right now, and that's a little bit lower than it was yesterday. And I'm not saying, you know, panic levels and an eight as far as this team could lose out and not make the NCAA tournament or something like that. But it, if we're talking big term, big time goals, this team having the best shot possible to end its season in Atlanta, I'm definitely pushing the panic button just slightly right now, not all the way down. I think, I think this whole thing goes one of two ways, and there are only two roads at this point. Either the rest of the season kind of plays out the way that this week did. They win a couple of games. They drop a couple more games that they're not supposed to drop. Maybe they win a game or two in the ACC tournament, and then they're an early out in the NCAA tournament. And this whole February swoon becomes a real thing, becomes something that people talk about. Um, you know, We have a great January again next season, but nobody gets excited because everybody's waiting for this February swoon to come about, and we got to figure out why this keeps happening. Option two is everything winds up being okay. We get things together kind of like that 2014-15 team go on a nice run in the NCAA tournament, maybe make a Final Four, maybe win the national title, you know, whatever. But the feeling after the season is overwhelmingly positive, and this becomes like a cautionary tale that we point back at and say, 
you know, let's not freak out about one loss in February. Hey, remember in 2020, this team lost back-to-back games to Georgia Tech and Clemson. Everybody was acting like the sky was falling, and things turned out to be okay. I think best-case scenario is you look back on this stretch the same way you look back at 2012 when we talk about, like, everybody remembers that that team lost to Providence by 31. Everybody remembers that that team uh, was so bad on senior night against South Florida and then scored, I think, 49 points the next game against Syracuse and had zero momentum going into the postseason. Everybody remembers those things because that team wound up winning the Big East tournament and wound up going to a Final Four. If that team had, you know, gone two and done in the Big East tournament or, you know, won one game in the NCAA tournament, nobody would care about the South Florida senior night or the, the losing to Providence by 31. It only became memorable, memorable because that team took all those red flags and turned it into something great. So I guess I'll ask you, if we're talking about those two paths, you know, this becoming a February swoon thing and this team not being able to figure it out like last year's team couldn't, or this team figures it out and we look back at this and say, that was super weird. What the hell happened during that week? Which one do you think is more likely at this point? First off, I am totally pissed right now because I literally had the 2012 comparison like ready to go. I was like, here we go. I can't wait to talk about how that team lost three out of their last five and senior night against South Florida was a like unmitigated disaster. Rick didn't even let Quack. the seniors talk. And I was like, this is, this is a perfect comparison. Cause like the, probably like the, uh, or like the vocal lead, not the vocal leader, but like one of our be- better players on that team was Kyle Couric, who at that time was more of like a, you know, he shot the ball well from three and kind of reminds me of, uh, uh, maybe a, a poor man's Jordan a little bit, and Kyle sure. just no, kind of disa- he he like disappeared towards the end of the year. So I started to look deeper after we lost. I think we lost to Syracuse the last game of the year, and then we won eight straight. Obviously, before losing to Kentucky in the Final Four, the leading scores of those eight games, it was like a different person every night. And I was like, okay, you know, if if that's a path we can take, where we start, we we just need contributions from everyone. I mean, this is a team. They just, they need to come together. You know, it can't be, Hey, David Johnson's emerging. He's the best player. Everything needs to go through him. It can't be, Hey, Jordan's, you know, disappeared the last two games. We need him to lead the team in scoring the team. They need to come together and you know how that works. I don't know. I mean, that that's going to be on them in practice, but I, I still think talent wise, they're capable of doing it. I am, I'm just worried. The thing that worries me is it just feels like every team that we've played this year that has been physical with us, we just haven't responded. And the teams during that 10 game winning streak, we, it, it kind of got masked a little bit because we beat teams like Notre Dame and Boston College and even Duke, who isn't overly physical. Um, so that's like my big concern. But I, that's the first thing I thought of was this team still is capable of going on like a 2011-2012 you know, run to the Final Four if, if they can get their shit together. The one thing that's, I guess the biggest thing that's different about this team and that 2012 group, like the 2012 group, even when they were playing so badly down the stretch, they defended the hell out of everybody. Like we knew that the defense was going to at least keep you within striking distance. It was a matter of finding the shooting. Like we just didn't have a whole lot of pro talent on the team. Now, Guy like Siva obviously had a great senior season. Uh, Gorgie Zhang was great as a junior a year later. Like there was, I guess, technically quote unquote pro talent because both those guys got drafted, but there wasn't, it still felt like a team that was 
less talented than most of the other top 10, top 15 teams they were going up against that year. It's kind of the opposite this year. I'm not saying this team is loaded with talent, but you feel like you're more talented than most of these teams you're playing, and you feel like you should be able to outscore them. The issue is, one, the defense has been really bad in recent weeks. We've fallen in the last uh, three games. Louisville has gone from number 10 on Ken Palm's uh, adjusted defensive efficiency ratings all the way down to number 41. That's how bad they've been defensively against Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Clemson. And I think the other thing, too, is the bigger issue with this team isn't just, hey, we're not making shots. The three-point shooting's not falling. We got guys not playing to their ability. Uh, I want to give a night. Their heads just don't seem to be there right now. And that, yeah. was the, that was the biggest thing about Saturday. That's why it was so much more deflating than what we saw against Georgia Tech. With Georgia Tech, it was that slow start that we've seen a few times. But I think every Louisville fan, I don't want to speak for every Louisville fan, but I think most Louisville fans when we fell behind by 10 in the first half, we're like, here we go again. Like, we'll be fine. We're going to have that run. We'll seize control. We'll win this game by six to 10 points when all said and done. But this is just kind of annoying. And the thing was, the run never happened. They played hard. They got themselves back in position to win. They just couldn't get over that hump. In this game, like right from the jump, it felt different. And I, I mean, I texted you and, and our other friends, I think at the second TV timeout, and I, I said, we're going to get blown out. Like, this looks like we just don't have the answers for these guys. They're playing a lot harder than we are. They're playing a lot better than we are. And we don't seem to have the, the will to dig ourselves out of this hole. I just don't think it's going to happen. And for that to be the case, just four days after you take your first quote-unquote bad loss of the season, to me, that is a, that's a massive red flag. And to hear Chris Mack after the game talk about, this is my fault. I don't know what's going on. we got to have some individual conversations with guys. That's the, you know, the, the come-to-Jesus moment that you want to have in early January if it happens or late December if it happens. When you're talking about this halfway through February with March Selection Sunday now being less than a month away, to me, super, super concerning. Yeah. And we probably need to discuss it because it's happened so many times here of lately. But the beginning of games, and I know people want to discuss the starting lineup. Obviously, we know that Chris benched Jordan um, yesterday, and that was a disaster i mean let's talk about that let's let's stop right here let's let's, i guess let's focus on that because we're going to talk about it anyway so you first of all let's admit how wrong we were last podcast because we broke down like five different lineup changes it was like the last one (laughs) yeah we thought there was going to be like two or three new guys in the starting lineup and i think the only thing that we didn't talk about was jordan getting taken out of uh the starting five and it's easy to talk about in hindsight but i will say like you and i were texting before the game and it was like I don't know if this is going to work with a guy like Jordan. This doesn't seem to be the way to get through to him. And sure enough, he comes out, and when he gets put back into the game for the first time, he looks even more lethargic, more just not there, makes more careless turnovers than we've ever seen from him before. And I don't think it works because then he starts the second half. Whatever message, whatever you know, per- inspirational performance you were looking to get out of Jordan Wara by doing this, it, it definitely didn't happen. I mean – What's your take on all this, and, and where do we go from here with our best player now looking to be in the biggest funk of his career? Yeah, and I mean, I don't blame Chris for trying to find a spark. Like, I, I'm I'm happy that he's willing to try different things to kind of get the team motivated. And he knows his players better than we do, obviously, and he must have thought that this would kickstart Jordan, and obviously – um, he was wrong about that. My whole thing with the, the starting lineup, and a lot of people don't think, you know, whoever starts is, is a big deal. 
And like most cases, I would agree with them, except we have gotten off to such bad starts that it's literally dictated the game um, in a lot of our games in the last like five or six games. And to not have, in my opinion, to not have David Johnson out there, who is, I, and I think, our most talented player, I just think you cannot keep getting down in these 10, 11-point deficits before you know, you're know you bringing in your best player. That's just my opinion. And I know he didn't even play great in the first half when we did bring him in. But my thought is when you're playing teams like, like a Clemson or a Georgia Tech, kind of these middling teams – I want them to, when they play us, when they come out and they see the five that we have on the floor and see their talent to be like, oh, shit, these guys are pretty good. This is going to be kind of a long day for us. But, you know, if if we're putting guys out there who probably aren't our most talented five and it gives, you know, Clemson or Georgia Tech a little bit of confidence and they start shooting well at the beginning of the game and now they're riding that throughout the entire game. And I, I think, you know, I... I texted you yesterday you know about midway through the first half i was like this game was lost in the first four minutes you know just Mm -hmm. by how we came out and how we gave them confidence and i think going forward i mean we have to put our most talented five our most productive five on the floor right away and until we write the ship i think it's time i'm with you and i've been we both, I mean, especially during the winning streak, we're sort of of the belief that it doesn't really matter. If you're going to bring David Johnson off the bench, but he's going to play 25 to 30 minutes and he's going to you know, impact the game significantly, then who cares about him playing the first segment? I think that's changed. Like getting behind 12 to 2 to Georgia Tech and then getting behind 15 to 4 to Clemson or whatever it wound up being uh, on Saturday, you were never able to dig yourselves out of those holes. And if you can avoid that, I think you have to by all costs. I understand why Chris Mack would be hesitant to do this. One, if you're looking at it from the David Johnson standpoint, being a freshman who got you know his start a month later than everybody else who still came along slowly because of the shoulder, really didn't start playing big minutes until the calendar flipped to 2020. He's still getting into the flow of things a little bit, and maybe it's more beneficial for him to be able to sit on the bench, look at the opposing defense, look at the flow of the game, get a feel for everything, and then come in later. And then also, like we talked about in a prior pod, officials statistically call the most fouls of games in the first four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. If you can, I mean, Johnson's foul prone, there's no question about it. He, when a guy gets a step on him, his first reaction is to just grab him and he gets called for fouls like that all the time. So if you can keep him out of foul trouble early, uh, I I can see why you would want to not bring him in until like the, you know, the, the 15 minute mark of the first half. I think the other thing with Chris Mack too is fresh Kimball has been, arguably this team's best leader for the last couple of months. I know he's not quite as vocal as Malik Williams, but he's that dude who gets everybody huddled up, who's in people's faces, who's you know grabbing jerseys, making sure that everybody's focused. If you take him out of the starting lineup after two terrible games for the, for the entire team and put David Johnson in there, the message is, well, Fresh Kimball's the problem. Yeah, you know We're going to solve things this way. We're going to play this freshman, and Fresh is going to be a minimal part of the team now moving forward. I'm sure he doesn't want to relay that message to the fan base, but at this point, like, I don't. Maybe this is me jumping off the deep end a little bit and, and getting a little bit too extreme after two bad performances. But it seems like the only real route for this team to get to where it wants to be, to get, to reach its ultimate goals, is to rely on David Johnson more heavily now than they have been even over the last month or so. Like I, I think you give him the keys, you let him run the show. I'm not saying that he's you know all of a sudden Jordan Wara's role gets diminished or anything like that. I think they would actually help Jordan War if he was 
less of a focal point of this team's offense, of opposing defenses. I think, like, I think now's the time because when we've been at our best for the last month and a half, it's been when David Johnson's had it, had it rolling. Yeah. And I completely agree. And I mean, he just does so many things on the floor and he would open it up, you know, so much for, like you said, other guys like Jordan to, you know, kind of free himself up and maybe take the pressure off him to think that he has to do everything. Um, for me with this team, I, you know, yes, the, the slow starts are very damning, but there's two things that we're ultimately going to have to do or else we're going to have no shot in March. And I mean, it's there. Everyone can see it. One, we're going to have to defend better. Like you said, our defense efficiency is dropping. Um, and gosh, the pack line, it, it, it just I. I know, Chris, this is his thing. He brought it with him from Xavier. And, you know, I'm still going to put my trust in him that he knows what he's doing. But this is the second year in a row where it seems like down the stretch our defense is starting to fail us. I know we have starting to run more zone. I, I hope we're, we keep running more zone. Um, I think it's been a little more efficient um, than that pack line has. But we just have to defend better. I mean, People are like, oh, gosh, these teams like Clemson and Georgia Tech, like they're shooting the ball like they never do against anyone else. It's like that's because we're letting them do that. We're not crowding shooters. We're not uh, keeping guys out of the lane. Like that's our defense. It's not them just getting hot out of nowhere. That's that's because of us. So, one, we're going to have to defend better. And two, I mean, we have to shoot the ball. I mean, that's when we won 10 games in a row, we we shot the ball about as well as you could and you know, obviously, when when we're not shooting well, we've seen the past couple games that, are, I mean, we just look like a disaster overall. So, you know, they need to get those two things figured out. Um, I, I do think, you know, shooting. I think once we have a home game, I know we got Syracuse coming in, um, which plays zone. I'm hoping that we can start finding our stroke. It looked like late in the second half, if there was any glimmer of light. You know, in that game, it looked like we loosened up on offense a little bit late in that second half. But those are the two things. If we want to get to where we want to be, we're going to have to do a lot better. Yeah, the pack line thing, I think, is worth talking about because it's not just frustrating for Louisville fans to see this defense not playing well and to see the style not holding up well over the last week when, you know, a different style had held up well for a long period of time. I think it's especially frustrating because with this group and this personnel, it feels like playing more up-tempo and getting after teams more defensively would be like, – like that seems like it would be the best style of play for this group. Yeah, that's a great get, point. I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, if you can get David Johnson out in transition, if you can get Steele's ball in Johnson's hands, he's on the fast break, he's so good at getting to the rim, and everybody would have to collapse on him. That would set up more open shots for Ryan McMahon, for Jordan Wara, for Dwayne Sutton in transition. Our Some of our best offense has been in transition, and we don't do it like at all like like that's not part of the game plan a lot of times um and it it, it's understandable because we don't force a ton of turnovers Uh, we don't have live ball turnovers and i think with this pack line now it works like there's no question virginia won a national title doing this it seems to be the way that most great college defensive philosophies are going at least some hybrid this baylor's doing a lot more uh pack line principle stuff this year texas tech um all that no middle is is basically a just a kind of inverted form of the pack line so it clearly works but if you're louisville it doesn't work if you're not going to be physical enough and if you're not going to challenge outside shots. The whole thing with this is we want teams to use up a bunch of clock on their offensive possessions. We want them to take bad shots, preferably from the outside, and we want to dominate the defensive glass. Like That's the whole thing. If, 
if that doesn't happen, if you're giving up second chance points or teams are shooting a high percentage from the outside, you don't have a way to combat that because you're not getting up and down. You're playing fewer overall possessions. Um, you're not getting cleaner looks from the outside. And we've really struggled with our half court offense the last couple of weeks. So it's again, it's one of those deals where the system works if you run it effectively on defense. But if you have, you know, guys getting lost on switches, guys not covering <laughs> shooters over screens, um, and teams are shooting above their percentage from the outside, there's really no way to combat that. There's, like, there's no plan B given this style. So I understand why everybody's frustrated. But like, I don't think it's going to change. When we've done the full court stuff and we did a little bit of it on Saturday, it's been just kind of token pressure. It's like Fresh Kimball just making the guy use a little bit more clock as he, as he walks the ball up the court. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, this is Chris Mack. Like, this is the core. This isn't a small thing that he can tinker with. These are his core principles. I can't see this changing. It's going to be on our guys to get tougher defensively. And like you said, you know, go up against these grinded out, big, bulky dudes, uh, those style of teams. Like, we've got to get better at that because if we don't, it's going to be another early exit. Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, we can we can blame the pack line. We can we can blame you know Chris juggling the starting lineup all we want. The truth is, it I mean, it falls on the players. They haven't shown up the last two games. You know, outside of I feel like Malik's played hard. Dwayne had a good game yesterday. Um, Dave, for the most part, I think has has had a nice couple games. Um, you know, without the turnovers, but you know, it, it just comes out. I mean, this team can either, they, they can figure it out and be a team that's, you know, going to be remembered, um, or they can just, you know, float through these last couple games and limp into March with an early exit. And it would probably, you know, just be a, a, another Louisville team that we, you know, we don't talk about a lot. So, you know, whatever, whatever goes on in practice between now and the Syracuse game, um, you know, these guys just need to come together and figure out, you know, whatever they need to do to win. Um, because obviously with these five games coming up, uh, I just, our seed is, is starting to slip a little bit and I do not want to get down into that, you know, four or five range of a, of a NCAA tournament seed. Yeah. The come together thing is the biggest part of this to me. Like in the next you know, Monday, Tuesday, I guess maybe even today they're having these meetings. If you don't get stuff figured out, if you don't get everybody on the same page, then nothing else really matters. Like they may be able to have a couple of hot shooting games and beat Syracuse or beat North Carolina or go three and two down this stretch, but there's no chance of them winning a national title or playing deep into March if they don't. If if the focus and the intensity doesn't get back to where it was, uh, like in the Duke game back in mid January, and I don't know. I, I mean, watching that team yesterday, Chris Mackett said the exact same thing after the game. They looked like they were a bunch of dudes playing with nothing to play for. I mean, it looked like they have like a high school team at this point in the season that knows it's not going to get out of region. That's just kind of over the whole deal. They're 17, 18 year old kids. They want to get back to doing other stuff. They're just kind of they're just kind of done. Like they're going to show up. They're going to play in the games. They're going to go through the motions, but they're ready for this whole thing to be over. And that that to me was the most striking thing about Saturday, because they, there have been stretches where this team hasn't been as engaged as we'd like them to be. But there hasn't been a full game where it's like. I don't think some of the guys on this team care that much right now. And that was, there was a stretch in the second half where it felt like Chris Mack and the staff were like, we're just going to play the guys who care. And they played uh, fresh and David Johnson together. They played Dwayne, they played, and then they played Steven and Malik together in the post. It was just like, you know what, if you're going to play hard, we're out there. Like at this point, we've already lost the game. Let's just go out there and play for some pride. And Ryan got in there too and played really hard for a long stretch. But to me, Mack seemed as shocked as anybody that that happened. And it was just such a, 
it's jaw. And the other thing that's jarring about it that separates it from the Georgia Tech game to me is Georgia Tech at the at least had come to our place and played us really close before we went down there and lost. Like we knew that that was a team that maybe matched up well with us. We just beat the shit out of Clemson three weeks ago. Like this same Clemson team came into our building and we played maybe the most complete game of the entire season, dominated them from start to finish, and it was never close. It was never in doubt. And then to go down there and have that exact same team, which I know that they just beat bit by 20, but they'd lost three straight games before that. It's not like they had been rolling since we beat them in January. To have that same team just put an ass whipping on you for two straight hours, like I, I don't know. I, I don't really know where you go from there. I'm hopeful, but I'm definitely concerned. And specifically, I mean, Jordan Wara, we have to talk about it a little bit more. Seven points in the last two games. Did not look locked in at all yesterday. Did not look locked in in the Georgia Tech game. He's been called out not just locally, but every national broadcast that had a highlight package last night, they talked about Jordan's seven points in two games. They talked about him not giving maximum effort. They talked about his no-shows. I don't know how he handles all this, but this is a kid who his NBA draft stock is falling. His chances of being ACC Player of the Year are now significantly hit. His All-American status is going by the wayside. I... This is a, I think this Syracuse game, because at the very least, he should be able to get open looks against that zone. This kind of feels like a make or break deal. Like either we see a renewed Jordan Wara and he comes out and he plays loose and he plays with energy and he's happy and he's, he's going to be locked in for the rest of the year, or this is kind of the norm and he's just ready to get out of here. I, I, I have no idea what to do with Jordan, but I'm concerned about it. I, I assume you are as well. Yeah. And listen, every team goes through some sort of funk in the season. So I know right now, like we're like in the middle of it. So it feels like the sky is falling and it's like the worst feeling in the world. But every team goes through some sort of funk. Um, And with Jordan, the thing that it it, it almost, uh, you know, it it brings it out more. Is it and again, a great player. It's the body language is so poor. It just he he gives off the vibe that he doesn't really give a fuck when he's out there, which is, I think, pisses a lot of fans off. And, you know, I, I just think that's just kind of what his nature is. I don't think he means anything by it. He just he doesn't have like the over exuberant body language like some of our other players do. So uh-huh. um, I, I think. You know, yes, a lot of this is on Jordan, um, but a, a lot of it's going to be on our team to to kind of help pick him up because he's not really a, a vocal guy or a vocal leader. And he's honestly taking the brunt of what's going on the last two games. And rightfully so. I mean, he's played poorly, but it's going to be up to the other guys to, you know, step up and kind of free him up from a little bit of responsibility um, but it, there's no doubt about it. He's going to have to start to play better in whatever funk that he's in mentally, or, you know, if there is something physically wrong, which I don't think there is, um, you know, he's going to have to get out of that here coming up shortly. And like you said, I, I, I am glad, glad, but also a little nervous that we're going up against Syracuse Wednesday. I, I, I do think we'll get some open looks, but I, all I can think about is how poor we played against that zone last last year. Um, so I hope we've made some proper adjustments. But, yeah, we're definitely going to need Jordan here down the stretch if we're going to make any run. The biggest thing to keep an eye on, I guess an ear out for this week, I've talked about this my entire life to people who aren't from this area who don't understand, but every single year when Kentucky has a stretch like this or Louisville has a stretch like this, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, a rumor starts. 
and it's always the same rumor with a, a slight variation. It's always player A slept with player B's girlfriend, and that's why they're not playing well. Like, it, ha- it happens every fucking year, and it's my favorite. Like, this is the time of the year where that rumor comes out. March is always the time of the year where gamblers got a hold of this guy, and they threw the game. Like, like I mean, I won't use specific examples, but everybody has heard the exact same stories. But, I mean, it's just so funny how this is a, a staple of my youth that continues into adulthood. Like, back in the day, it was Alvin Sims and Dewan Wheat. There was the Patrick Sparks-Rajon Rondo thing. There was T. Will and Jerry Smith. There, like, whenever there's a, a bad stretch of play, it's, you know what I heard? I heard that uh, so-and-so's girlfriend got knocked up by so-and-so, and, and they just they don't talk anymore, and the whole team's divided. And it's never true. It, 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 there's never any truth to it whatsoever. But that's definitely what I have my ear on this week. Um, you mentioned the Syracuse game, and we have North Carolina on Saturday. This is significant time of urgency for Louisville right now. Because when you look at the, when you look at the overall the, the setup of the bracket reveal from last week and then look at some of the teams that are competing with Louisville on that 3-4 and now 5 uh, seed line, Louisville's got four quad one wins. They're 4-3 and three in quad one games. There are 23 teams in college basketball that have more than four quad one wins. Um, the, the thing that Louisville had going for it was the lack of bad losses. It had a great overall record. It had a couple of wins that really stood out. And then it didn't have any Q2, Q3, or Q4 losses to point to. That's no longer the case. Like, the resume took a huge hit. I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that in two days, two games, Louisville played its way from a two seed to probably all the way down to the four line. And it's going to be tough for them to claw their way back up because they only have two quad one games left on the schedule. They would have a chance to potentially play two in the ACC tournament, I guess, maybe at least one. But like right now, they can't afford to take another bad loss because that would, I think that would put them in a place where they would have no shot of getting back up to that two line and maybe not to get back up to that three line. So, I mean, time's now. This is, um, if you don't get things figured out right away, like right this second before the Syracuse game, then we're talking about a complete free fall. Yeah, and I hope the fans understand the urgency of these next two games because after that, I mean, we still have to go to Florida State, which we saw, you know, when we played them earlier in the year, and then to a Virginia team that is starting to click a little bit. Although I, I know the Carolina game was came down to the end yesterday, but I mean, these next two games are huge. You you, you don't want to drop one of these two games and. I mean, seeding is is a big deal, whether we like it or not. And we're going to need a, a high seed going into March, in my opinion, if we're going to want to advance far. Because, yeah, it, it's just it's just a frustrating time right now. It's one of those times where you wake up like today I woke up and I was like, gosh, I don't even want to look at college basketball or watch any of the highlights because you're just so kind of depressed about what's going on with your team. But we just need to get that winning feeling back, and I think if we do it on Wednesday, it'll it'll kind of change the mood of not only us but the entire city as well. We talked about the comparisons with uh, the 2012 team and a little bit to the 2015 team. In a weird way, like this season and then last year, and I hate to do this. I, I hate to do the constant Mac Patino comparisons, but it's hard to get away from. It's just so logical given what we all experience as fans. But it, there is a little bit of the early Patino years vibe to what's going on. And it's funny how the narrative at, at the end of Patino's tenure at Louisville was always, they'll drop some games they shouldn't early on in the season. They may have a, a stretch in January where they're bad, but they're always going to be at their best in February and March. That's when they get things ramped up. Because the first five years, and I think that we all just sort of forgot about this, it was the exact opposite. Like They overachieved um, for the first couple of months his first year, tanked in conference play and made the NIT in year one. 
And then year two, we had that great run where we got all the way up to number three in the country, went on that huge winning streak, beat Kentucky, dominated CUSA through January, and then lost several games to teams we shouldn't have lost to in February, kind of got right, won the Conference USA tournament on our home floor, got a four seed, and then uh, got upset by Butler in the second round. And then year three was the exact same. We got up to number two in the country, completely bottomed out. We're a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament, lost in the first round. And then even the Final Four team had a couple of games in February where we're like, here we go again. It kind of has that same feel. Like, I wouldn't be shocked at all if this – I don't want to predict the NCAA tournament now, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if this team kind of has that second-year Patino feel where they get things right, maybe win the ACC tournament. We have one more bad loss before, and we get a seed that's not kind of where we were the entire year, but we're still in relatively okay position. I don't know. I just – I kind of have that same sense about these groups. And maybe that's a good sign for the long-term Chris Mack era at Louisville, but maybe not so great a sign for these first couple of years. I don't know. Am I just totally off base on all this? I mean, if you're right, if we run into another Darnell Archie situation, then I'm going to literally be pissed at you for even bringing this up on the podcast. But yeah, no, I I, I mean, I can see some similarities there. Um, I, I just... I think these team, th- this team right now, I think overall is a lot more talented than Patino's earlier teams from an offensive standpoint, at least. Um, but it's just a matter. I mean, it's a matter of will. I mean, I, I just think on the defensive end, they're going to have to, you know, they're step up and say, we're going to do this or they can keep playing like they're playing. And we'll, we'll you know, we'll cash out with an early exit in March. Um, yeah, th- that's a good point too. I mean, this team, certainly came into this year with more accolades than Patino's second team did and really, I think, should play deeper into the NCAA tournament than that Patino second team did. It's, it's on them, though, and it definitely starts this week. I was so upset after sitting through that two-hour of just horrendous basketball on Saturday. I couldn't even make the Clemson storm the, the court against us in both basketball <laughs> and football joke. It's how, it's how bad it was. Like I couldn't, I couldn't shit on the gather at the Paul stuff, which is the most annoying, stupidest thing in the entire world. I couldn't even do it. I just had to sit back and watch Clemson fans storm uh, the court slash field against us for the second time this year. It didn't feel good, Dan. I, I hate yeah, that. our 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 text chain was like a fucking funeral. It was bad. It was um, bad. It was that, that's like, the lowest that, it's been. I, I the reason like I, I saw people with like emergency pod like I can't like I mean I I probably could but it, I was not in a good headspace yesterday no. during the game. I drank a little. I'm not gonna lie. I drank a little red wine during the game. Never gonna do that again. I'm not, I, I'm not a big wine drinker, and I don't. It was the only thing around, so I drank some, and I was like, "God damn it, I hate this." Um, but imagine yeah, pounding I mean... red wine during a 15-point loss to Clemson at 4 p.m. in the afternoon on a Saturday. I know it sounds it sounds worse than it actually was, um, but yeah, no, I like uh, the thoughts that run through my head. I'm like, okay, like th- these are these are nice. 18 and 19 year old kids who are you know yesterday I don't think I mean I know they were trying it didn't seem like they were trying their best but um yeah I just I needed a day to you know get some proper headspace to kind of analyze the loss but it it still hurts just as bad I absolutely need like a a solid 12 hours at the very least to decompress before I can ever do this if it's a loss because I don't yeah so at, at both radio stations that I used to work for R.I.P. Um, they kind of had put feelers out there about me potentially doing post-game stuff. And I was like, no, I, I, I can't do this. I will say stuff that I will regret instantly. It's why I try to tweet as little as possible at the end of bad losses. I just kind of try to stay away from it because I know I'm going to say something I'll, I'll regret. Because 
like so many fans, you get caught up in the moment. It's understandable. The one time that we had to do it was when we lost to Duke in the first game of the ACC tournament in, I guess that was 2017. And, um, and John comes on, and God love John. But John's like, you know what? It was a great game. Duke's a great team. I think we're going to be fine long term. Like, I still feel good about this team winning a national title. And I was like, how many times do we have to have the same ending? I just, I, I raged for a solid hour. And afterwards, like the next day I came in and I was kind of embarrassed. I was like, it wasn't that bad, but I just, I can't do it. I, I couldn't do the emergency pot after a terrible loss. Uh, I just, I would say things that I would regret. That's just, Does Coach K get every fucking call? Jesus. I mean, that, yeah, was, no. that was pretty much me. I'm like, <laughs> we're letting this fucking, like, Grayson Allen is just shitting all over us and we're not standing up for ourselves. It was, oh, it was God. Terrible. Yeah. No, nope, I'm, uh, I'm the same way. Definitely need that, that grace period there. All right. Uh, we skipped Dan in the Dumps after the Georgia Tech game. I think the world needs a Dan in the Dumps story uh, to end this pot against Clemson because this has been uh, 30 minutes or so here of just just downright pure garbage. What, what, what do you have? Yeah. What's our Dan in the Dumps story for today? I mean, besides like the two games itself, I mean, like those are obviously candidates. But I mean, the week just has stunk, um, you know. Losing to Georgia Tech, losing to Clemson. Everything stinks right now. I probably ruined Valentine's Day for my wife yesterday because I was in such a piss-poor mood. She probably thinks I stink. So then I was like, God, well, this summer I had kind of a stink story myself. So um, it was late at night. I I go to bed pretty late. I go to bed around midnight. um, And my wife, she, she can't stay up that late. So I let my dog out. We have like a tether in the back. Um... And I go to let her back in. I like open the door and I just get like hit in the face with like this like stench. I was like, what in the fuck? So uh, I come back. I'm like so startled because my dog is barking and she never barks. Um, So I come back inside. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, was that a skunk? So I like open the door like an idiot again, like go out there and like see if I see a skunk. (laughs) And like, of course, there's like a spotlight like shining. So I can't even see out in the yard anyways. And, uh, so I'm like, Oh my God, I think it is a skunk. So I like leave her at, leave my dog out there. I come back inside and then I'm like, Oh my God, now our family room smells like a skunk. And then I'm like even more rattled. And I like go upstairs and like wake my wife up from like just a dead sleep. I was like, Kim, Kim, what? She's like, Oh my God, you stink. (laughs) I was like, I was like, I know. I think I got sprayed by a skunk. (laughs) She's like, get out of here. What are you doing? So like literally I was like, what am I, what? So now the upstairs smells like a skunk. So then like I go down and I like gather all these, like, like a bucket and all this like shampoo and stuff. Cause now I have to go like bathe my dog in the backyard at like 12 15, like in the morning. <laughs> and I like walk outside with like rubber gloves, like a bucket and like materials. And the neighbors next door were somehow awake and like just see me going out back with like <laughs> rubber gloves. I was like, they think I'm a murderer, probably. So, uh, so yeah. Anyways, I cleaned the dog off. I mean, as best I could. Our whole house smelled like a skunk for you know, at least a week. I had to go into work the next day. I was like asking everyone if it smelled like a skunk still. And they were like, kind of, yeah. Um, but <laughs> just, a, just, a, just a shitty situation. Um, so yeah, if, if, uh, if you smell a skunk, shut the door. Little, little Dan advice there. The best was, so when you were texting all of this, this story, which it developed throughout the course of the night, because at first you thought it was the dog that had gotten sprayed and you were like, oh my God, Pippa got sprayed by a skunk. 
And then later you discovered that it was actually you that was making your entire house smell like shit. I was on vacation with my wife's family, pissed drunk, like crying so hard that I'm peeing my pants as I'm reading these texts. And then the only other thing that I remember is this was uh, so Louisville was in the College World Series at this point. Oh, yeah, that's like, that, yeah. You're like, what if they we win the national championship this weekend? And like five years from now, Cam, your son, is asking me, you're like, well, what do you remember about that? You're like, oh, yeah, that was the week I got skunk, son. Like, like, they, like this is going to define whatever happens for the rest of this week. God. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. My poor kids woke up and they're like, what is that? I'd like, it's like, well, yeah, I don't know. Just just another day in the life here. We all feel like we've been sprayed by skunks today. It's just uh, the, the stench continues to linger over Louisville basketball until we get back into the winning feeling, which hopefully happens Wednesday. Uh, we'll have another pod for you before then, talking about Syracuse, talking about everything else that's going on at Cardinal Athletics. In the meantime, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the pod. Uh, give us a nice rating. Write us a nice review if you've got the time to do so. If not, no worries. Uh, we'll be talking to you guys again soon. Go Cards. Let's actually win a game. Here we go. Go Cards.